The primary purpose of a boundary is to take care of yourself, not to control others. My name is Andrea, and this is Adult Child. Welcome back to Adult Child, where we took a deep dive into the impact of growing up in a dysfunctional family. Ahoy, my dear shit shows. Remember when I used to say, uh, what was the other, what was the thing before that I used to say that was like cringy, like howdy, howdy ho? Howdy ho, yeah, howdy ho, my my dear shit show. I guess I went from like the cowboy theme to pirate themes, like howdy ho, now we got ahoy. Hi for any new listeners, yes. This is a strange experience. And to make this even kind of stranger, I want to share a pivotal aha that I had today. So we all know the song, or maybe we don't all know the song, but we should all know the song, Brandy. The sailor said Brandy. Uh, you know that song. When it says, what a good wife you would be. So my whole life, what I think they're saying right after this is, but my life, my love and my lady is a sea. My life, my love, my lady is the sea. Well, folks, I learned that that's not the case. It is saying, yeah, your eyes could steal a sailor from the sea. Your eyes could steal a sailor from the sea, not, but my life, my love, and my lady is a sea. <laughs> Hit me up. Let me know what you thought the lyrics were there. Uh, there was another one, too, that this one was even more blind, mind-blowing. I made a reel about it, but it was quite a while ago. So, um, you should be dancing, you know, by the Bee Gees. You should be dancing, yeah. You know the part that's like, what do you think they're saying in that, like, part? This is what they're saying. What you doing on your bed on your back? What you doing in your bed in your back? What you doing in your bed in your back? You're welcome. Isn't that useful information? What you doing in your bed in your back? Uh, okay, let's move it along here. So today we are joined by um, Sharon Martin. So I have been following or I've, I came across her like blogs several years ago and she put some really, really good shit out there. And she has spent 20 plus years as a psychotherapist, really focusing on the shit that we struggle with all that feel good shit that we got going on for us. Uh, and so she has, she also has two books. Uh, one of them is on perfectionism and then the other one is on boundaries. I just started reading the boundaries one and it is, I, I recommend it's very digestible and very useful. So, uh, we got a little bit of everything for you today. We're talking about her journey of realizing that she was a codependent and the realization that she was just as sick as her alcoholic husband. We're talking about the biggest misconceptions about codependency. We are talking about when to go no contact with family, uh, how to set boundaries, where are we going wrong in setting boundaries. Uh, so let's get the damn show on the road. But first, as I said, uh, we're off of Patreon and we're on Mighty Networks. For now, it's just people who are already in the Patreon can only join at this point. And then within the next uh, month or so, I will open it up to all you other shit shows to join. So stay tuned for that. How about you go give me a little follow on the Insta, on the TikTok. You guys, I really do think that I'm shadow banned. My engagement, my reach on Instagram has gone down like 75% 
in in a month. So if you see my shit on there, I ask that you please make an effort, folks, to like, engage uh, with my shit. Okay, thanks. Next, after you go like all my shit on Instagram, how about you go give me a damn five-star rating on Apple and Spotify? Ratings truly make a difference in how far-reaching a podcast is. So give me a damn five-star review. You don't want to have to be the reason that someone who's really suffering doesn't find the podcast, okay? So let's just think about that. And now for our uh, transition music, you are getting some Alanis Morissette sung by the queen of the shit show, yours truly. I think I'm going to do this once a month because I like to sing. It's fun for me. And so I should do shit that's fun. So here's me having fun. Did you forget about me, Mr. Duplicity? I hate to bug you in the middle of dinner. There was a slap in the face. How quickly I was replaced. And are you thinking of me? Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill big fan of today's guest. We have psychotherapist Sharon Martin, and she is the author of, we got two books. So we got the, the CBT workbook for perfectionism and then the, uh, the better boundaries workbook, which one's newer boundaries. Yeah. The better boundaries is when did that come out? Um, 2020 a year, year and a half ago, 2021, the January can't even remember. That's what happens to your brain. It just, (laughs) It all starts mushing together, right? I don't know. (laughs) What the hell? Uh, The thing about writing books, too, is you write them. They take so long, you know, through the pipeline to actually come out. So, you know, it's like you're writing them like a year or two before, and then they finally come out. So I I literally lose track of, like, what the timeline was. When was that published? I don't know, but not not very long ago. (laughs) So are you an adult child? Oh, so great question. Um, so actually, I would say I am in a grandchild. Um, a DCOA. <laughs> which there's not, there's even less information about that. Um, but um, so my, my dad um, is an adult child, um, grew up with two alcoholic uh, parents. Um, and then um, the other thing I would identify as is I am married to a recovering alcoholic and addict. Um, so I've kind of got that experience um, as well. Um, so sort of a combination of, of pieces there. Were you, when did you become aware of the terminal child? Hmm. I I would guess probably in my early 20s. Um, I don't really recall anybody using that terminology. Um, you know, when I was growing up, um, there would be, you know, sort of, you know, some side conversations, sort of some whisperings about, you know, my grand, you know, grandfather's drinking, my grandmother had passed away at this point, but, um, you know, and so we were told little bits and, you know, we sort of knew a little bit about what was going on. Um, but I don't recall anyone using that term. Um, you know, there, 
I, I think at that point there, you know, people were using it. I'm trying to remember exactly when some of some of the adult child books started coming out. I'm thinking early 80s. 80s yeah. Early 80s. So, you know, so that's, you know, um, certainly within that about that time frame when I think it started to become something that was used. Um, but yeah, I'm guessing it probably wasn't even until like maybe I was in college and, you know, started looking at some of those issues studying about psychology and social work and, you know, therapy and those kinds of things, you start to, you know, see more of that and get, I think, get exposed to more of the, you know, sort of terms that are people are using um, to understand things. So one common experience, and I'm sure you're very familiar with this, and I experienced it, and so many people that listen to this podcast have, is that we sat in therapy for years without the therapist, like really being able to identify that what we were experiencing was like complex trauma. Yeah. Um, well, and that, that makes me really sad, um, as a therapist. Um, but, but it's absolutely correct. I mean, even I've been, you know, it's been 25 ish years, um, since I've been a therapist. Um, so even when I reflect back on the original training that I got, mm -hmm. um, we, you know, we did not talk about trauma the way that we talk about it now, um, even though, you know, we we knew certainly that trauma was the root of most all, you know, <laughs> mental that health might... struggles, addiction like that wasn't it wasn't unknown, but it was not in 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 the language. It was not something that was talked about the way it is now. And I think that's been such a great shift um that we see conversations happening we you know we we see people using the term and really understanding just how prevalent trauma is there's so many different kinds of trauma it affects affects people in so many different ways um you know and again like you know i think we just sort of were we're sort of conceptualizing some of these these issues and struggles in different ways um right we certainly knew you know that things that happened to us when we were you know children um our childhood experiences our parents you know the way that we were raised you know had a huge impact on us as adults right so we knew that but again and we weren't framing it as that was traumatic what you went through you know, and we, and I think we weren't, we weren't using the words trauma. We weren't using the words abuse in the same way that we are now. I think, you know, we've really come a long way in being able to say, you know what, that stuff was not okay. That actually is abusive. It's not, you know, just, oh, you know, your parents were kind of shitty and they didn't pay attention to you or um, they called your names or they, you know, used corporal punishment or, you know, things like that. Now I think we're, we're, we're really, you know, doing people you know really helping people understand that that is really profound stuff that has a huge impact on you um in so many different ways as you know and i think being able to talk about that is is of course just that beginning step of having the awareness um you know that Everything. this stuff yeah that this is this is real um it's not you know something that you know was just happening to you unfortunately it wasn't just your family that was you know having this kind of problem um it just people weren't talking about it you know and, and i don't mean to say that um you know all of you know people are airing all, all of their dirty laundry or that you know a lot of the stuff that happens in you know behind closed doors is is all being shared but but i think we have made strides 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so when you, is this the area that you've always focused on? Like since you became a therapist, codependency, addiction related stuff? Um, yes and no. Um, you know, again, it's, it's an interesting question because, you know, you sort of think about the way that things have, have, um, just sort of progressed over time. So, so earlier in my career, I did a lot of work, um, with adolescents and young adults. And specifically, I was working with a lot of young people who, um, were experiencing homelessness because they had either left home or been kicked mm-hmm. out of their home, which again, you get, you get to imagine what are the, what are the circumstances in which that's going to happen, you know, to a teenager. How was this through an organ- How did you get connected with them? Was yeah, it like um, a I was program for, or? Uh, yeah, I was working for a nonprofit organization. Um, awesome program that we had, um, here in San Jose. Um, so anyway, you know, and of course all of these kids had experienced huge amounts of trauma right? Addiction in the family, mental health problems in the family, abuse, all, all of the kinds of stuff, right? So it was it was trauma work, which again, at the time, that's not really what we were calling it, but that's absolutely what it was. Um, and so, you know, as time has shifted, I, I don't, I don't do really any work with adolescents anymore. As, as my, my own kids got older and you know, went through their own teenage struggles. I just said, I can't do the teenage stuff at work and at home. And so as I moved into working more with adults, um, I really, I really sort of picked up this thread, you know, that I think was there, that piece of, you know, this was now adults who had experienced a lot of trauma in childhood, um, codependency, um, adult child issues. So, so those were sort of the things that I was focusing on. Um, so again, I think it's different, but there was definitely something that was the common thread, um, that, that all the folks that I was working with, um, have experienced, um, some, some similar, you know, struggles in childhood. Here's the big question. Was your husband sober when you met him? Mm, no, no, <laughs> no, no. We went through a lot together. So yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of struggles there. Um, went through the whole process of him getting sober, getting into recovery. He has been sober. I want to say about 13 years. Um, so good, a good long time, but definitely super, super hard. There were a few very, very, very difficult years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like you guys are like the, the, the outliers, <laughs> like both, both, um, people in the marriage, like seeking recovery. And so, I, I mean, what, what was that like for you? Like to the experience of really staying focused on your set. And was there, was there a particular moment where you were able to realize like, oh shit, like I'm, I'm like just as sick as him. <laughs> um, you know, that, that was, that was really, really difficult Yeah, to be honest. Um, you know, as much as I want to say dealing with all his shit was super difficult and it was, <laughs> but I, you know, I remember like the exact moment that that hit me um, that like, this is not just him. And I mean, like I said, I mean, that was very humbling, very difficult to admit, um, you know, and, and very difficult, I think, to come to terms with the fact that, um, I didn't need to just, um, you know, 
go to therapy and deal with stuff because of all the problems he was causing. Right. I had to, I had to deal with my, my part in it and what I had contributed and um, you know, the more complex, you know, relational that were going on um, between the two of us. And, and also, you know, looking at just who I was and how I had been living my life too. Um, even before this sort of, you know, crisis point that, that we reached. Um, but definitely, um, you know, kind of pulling out all of those, you know, pieces that I had picked up um, growing up, you know, and like we said, it was, it's not, I was not the, the adult child, um, but growing up with an adult child, you know, we know a lot of this is generational too. And you just think about sort of codependent traits and tendencies, um, you know, things like just, you know, not talking about problems and, you know, wanting to be in control of things and, you know, focusing on other people's stuff and not looking at yourself and blame and, you know, all those great stuff. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, absolutely. That was that was a really, really tough um, piece of my journey also in trying to, um, you know, really own my my stuff. Um, and did you know, notice that there was there a shift in him when you really started focusing on your own stuff? Like, can you see that that had, did that play in at all? At, you think well, I, I don't, <clears throat> it wasn't so clear cut um, because I, it was sort of like two things going on simultaneously, you know, and I, you know, I think to your point earlier, it's like, I, if you both don't do it, you're probably not going to be able to stay together and you're not going to be able to, you know, create a healthier relationship. Um, but I can't, I, I can't really separate out the two processes because, you know, it's like, you know, you're doing your own, I'm doing my stuff. He's doing his stuff. We're doing couple stuff. Like you're doing all this stuff at the same time. Um, so there's sort of an interplay, I think, be, between all of it. Mm -hmm. And so when you talk about your the don't talk rule within your family and how how did you navigate that with your kids? You know, like being open about it, but not oversharing as well. Yeah, it's tough um, because you you do want to give them enough information, but information that is, you know, that you feel like they can understand um, and not try to put them in a situation where you are burdening them with either your problems um, or, or, or treating them like your confidant and really, you know, giving them, you know, was detailed information about your marriage, you know, and things like that. So, so it's a, it's sort of that tightrope walk, I think. Um, you know, but, but certainly, um, you know, my kids, they don't know, they, they don't know all of it and I hope they never do because they don't need to. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, they certainly know that, um, you know, their dad is in recovery and then he goes to meetings and, you know, they, they know some of it. Um, so I think it's an evolving process too. Um, and I, I like to, you know, try to think about it like you're trying to set the stage so that there's there's openness and 
trying to be mindful about the way you respond to questions that they have so that they know that they can ask you things and mm -hmm. you will give them information and you're not just going to, you know, shut them down again. So it's sort of that, that bigger messaging, I think, of letting them know that this is something that we can talk about mm -hmm. when they want to, or when they have questions about it. Um, what does that sound like? <laughs> Well, I think it's it's thinking about the entirety of the response um, that you give them when they bring something up. But it's also, I think, being proactive and talking to them about what you have been through. Um, you know, and again, some of this is this is conversations that my husband's had with our kids um, without me being there. Um, you know, again, as they, you know, got older and um, were exposed to, you know, or were involved in, you know, drinking and, um, you know, drugs and situations of that kind, right? Um, you know, so to be able to talk about his experiences, again, not, you know, the every detail of it, um, but also not trying to make it where it's like, um, this is a lecture of, you know, don't do what I did. Don't make the mistakes that I did. Um, although you you don't want them to, of course. But you know, we know that that's not that's an effective. Not that's not a strategy, yeah. right? <laughs> um, but but again, trying to make it so like this can be a back and forth. Um, like you can tell me about things, and I can tell you about you know my experience. And again, I think there there's ultimately there's like a, a healthy respect of. Um, you guys can make your own decisions ultimately. You know, I might not like them, right? I might disagree with them. Um, but it's, you know, my job is not to force you, you know, to do something or to tell you that you, um, you know, and I'm talking about this is mm -hmm. older, older, <laughs> older yeah, teenagers, no, young adults, yeah. right? Um, not not younger ones um, where you can be a little bit more directive with them. But I mean, I think we ultimately we still have to, you know, accept the fact that um, except for very small children, um, we can't we have we do not have that much control over what they do. Right. We're really just trying to, you know, give them guidance um, and encourage them on the right path and then be supportive of whatever choices they make and you know, be there for them when they inevitably, you know, <laughs> fall on their face, right? Because it happens. And that's really what I want as a parent. You know, it's not that I can protect my kids from, you know, bad stuff happening in their life. But, you know, what I really want is for them to know that they can count on me and that they can come to me with whatever, you know, is going on, whatever they're struggling with. Um, and, you know, and to be honest, like that hasn't always been easy. Um, you know, each of my kids is different, but, you know, you it's, I have three, um, you know, and they're, they are all different for sure. Um, but it's, it's a process and it's one that just is ongoing. I think of really having a relationship with them as, as people, um, not just as your kids, but to really see them as their own, you know, unique selves, and to support them in being, you know, whoever it is that they want to be. That's really what I hope for, um, you know, and it is, it, it is tough because I, I do have that, 
tendency to want to, you know, be a little more controlling and say, this is what I think you should do. And, you know, this is the path you should be on. Um, so it's hard sometimes to take that step back and just say, you know what, I need to, I need to let them do what they're going to do. Um, even if, <laughs> if not necessarily have to share all my thoughts about it even. So my experience, and I'm curious, you know, if you've encountered this a lot in practice, but so I became the identified patient at nine, um, separation, anxiety, sent to the therapist years later, asked my mom, did you tell them that you were an alcoholic and that you and dad fought all the time? Her answer, no, it didn't seem relevant. <laughs> and then I start. they started sending me to rehabs when I was in the eighth grade. Mm. Um, and so I'm curious, like when you're working with individuals, are you, are you encountering that a lot where you see the parent is, is making one of the kids, the, you know, the identified patient within the family and how are you handling that? Mm. Um, sometimes, I, I mean, it does happen certainly, um, like you're saying that, um, I, th I think often, um, you know, folks that I, I see would, would have a similar experience, um, to what you're describing where, um, they feel like they were the, you know, the child that was, um, the problem. That's what they were told, um, that there was something wrong with them, that they were acting up, they were doing stuff, um, that was causing all these problems, um, within their family. Um, or sometimes they can, they can certainly identify that there was a sibling, um, that was, that was um the one um but i think i think you know to your point also really if that if we recognize that that's what's happening is if we can is if we can pull it back so like you know if we can sort of get that bigger picture of this is this is stuff that's going on in the family this is not you know any one person Again, I think there's something, I don't know, that humans just, they like to, to they want to understand. But I think in that process of understanding or maybe trying to find the quickest answer is it's easy to just blame um, and like want it to be a simple understanding of, oh, it's because of this person is doing this. Um, you know, and I, you know, and it reminds me too, I mean, often, um, so often uh, when we see, um, young people who are in eating disorder um recovery and treatment i mean that's really what what you know your comments make me think about is just how often um there's that one you know one person in the family is identified as you're the one who's having the problem and the family often doesn't want to look at what else is going on in the family um that is contributing like, you know, you really have to think like, okay, well, if you have a child that is um, struggling in some way, like, why is that? I mean, what is going on? And again, I mean, we just so, so often the parent is just doesn't want to, you know, look at themselves and see like, how is my behavior? How is my parenting? How is our, our life? You know, how are the systems, that, you know, in our community? How is all of that contributing um, to what's going on, because that's very complicated, <laughs> right? I mean, it's like the more people we have involved in, in the problem, 
then the harder it feels like it is to solve. Um, I think that's sort of the quick fix mentality is like, let me identify you're the problem so I can send you off to treatment. And then that's that, right? Easy, yeah, I mean, is it really me. about being complicated or the <laughs> fact that they just don't want to have to go there in themselves, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it's both, right? Um, you know, it, it's, it, it makes my life easier if I can tell you it's your Absolutely. problem and your problem alone. Um, and, um, you know, much harder for me to do my part of the work um, and, you know, get everybody else involved who is part of the problem too. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. um, so I've had many people on that I've asked this question to, how do you define codependency? Hmm. Yeah, it, I wish I had a, like a super simple definition, but I think it's a really complicated um, phenomenon. I don't even know, what you, you know what, what you call it there, but, you know, I think there's a lot of different components to it. And I also really strongly believe that this is something that exists on a continuum. So this is not a, you're a codependent or you're not a codependent. Um, I will also add, I, I'm not a, a huge fan of the term. Um, what would you, would you call it <laughs> well, no, nobody's come up with anything better. That's the problem. <laughs> it just, it, it's not a great name for what it actually is. Um, but we've kind of gotten stuck with it because nobody's been able to come up with a better term for it. But I think, I think, I think at its core, um, you know, we're really talking about a struggle, um, to, you know, feel good about ourselves. It's a feeling of shame and disconnection and, um, you know, feeling there's something wrong with us. And basically, we're now, you know, sort of manifesting this as, um, you know, I'm going to focus on other people and other people's problems and making other people happy um, instead of looking at myself and taking care of myself and trying to understand myself. Um, so we've got this, this, you know, fear, I would say, um, where we want to make other people happy because we don't have a great amount of tolerance for people being unhappy with us, whether that's, um, you know, sort of people pleasing or fear of abandonment, um, you know, discomfort with conflict, all of those, you know, different pieces of it. Um, but I think, you know, typically when we're talking about codependency, we're really thinking about people who are um, so focused on other people that they can't, they can't look at, you know, themselves and they can't do, you know, what, what they need to do to make themselves happy or fulfilled. It's all about, you know, what do other people need? How can I serve them? How can I fix their problems? Um, and again, there's a certain amount of denial um, that's part of that because again, it's, even though it's frustrating to try to fix other people's problems, um, you know, people will tend to prefer that, right? Because it's still, see, you know, sort of easier in the sense that, you know, then I don't have to look at my problems, right? I don't have to look at my behavior and, you know, what's going on with me um, and really get into my, you know, messy stuff underneath there. Um, I can keep that focus on somebody else. What do you think is one of the biggest like misconceptions as it relates to codependency? Um, I, I think probably the biggest misconception is that it is only related to alcoholics. <laughs> um, 
Well, I hope we're past that. I think we I are. Think, I think, I think we we're kind are. of overusing it a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, like any term that gets popular, yes. right? Narcissism. It gets misused. Yes. But I would say that people really think about it in terms of it being a relationship problem. Like I'm mm -hmm. in a codependent relationship mm -hmm. and not understanding that, well, you can get out of that relationship, but if you haven't done anything to deal with the codependency, I mean, both you're going to get into probably another codependent relationship, but you're still struggling with codependency, even if you're not in a romantic relationship. Um, Right, you can have codependent relationships, you know, with parents and children's and friends and like all of those different, you know, configurations. But, um, you know, if you're a person who tends towards codependency, that's, you know, something about you that shows up in relationships, but it still exists in you even without the relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing for me was like, and I think this is the trauma component of it. But like, you know, I would be, if I wasn't in a relationship, I mean, I was feeling good, you know, like I was good. I felt healthy, you know, and then it's like, as soon as I got into a relationship, that's when my peace of mind would be immediately, you know, like hijacked and have no idea what, what was going on. And so I'm curious what your thoughts are as far as when it comes to this stuff, like obviously a lot of this stuff has to be worked through in relationship. But I do often think that, especially for somebody who has, who struggles with, with codependent relationships, I do think that there is, there is some kind of groundwork that first needs to be done within the self before we're in a position to kind of test the waters in relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's correct because there's definitely a root here that's that's sort of a basic lack of self-worth of feeling not good enough like there's something wrong with you which is again like part of that becomes that's why everybody else's stuff and needs is more are more important than yours right it's you know um it's both like you don't want to be alone, but it's also a feeling of like, well, you know, what I need or what I want, my goals aren't really as important as other people's, right? That's something that we get taught usually really, really early on um, is that you shouldn't have any needs um, either because people tell you that or you learn from experience that if you express a need, it's not going to be met. Um, or people are going to be angry with you or they're going to leave you. Right. So so then we start to feel like, OK, you know, not consciously usually, but, you know, we understand that it's better to just, you know, be completely self-sacrificing. Um, and then we go around, you know, being both, you know, unfulfilled and sick and resentful um, because we don't feel like we can actually speak up and ask for anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so hard. Um, so both of your books, well, no, I guess one of them, but so CBT. So I'd love to kind of get your opinion on like various modalities as it relates to kind of treating the adult child syndrome. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, you can let me know if you have specific questions. Um, it's well, what I mean, my, my first thought is, I mean, now there are so many modalities. There's like an acronym for 
every single, you know, approach that exists. Mm -hmm. And it is really, I mean, it really just feels like it's exploded in the last maybe 10 years or so. Um, and while like, that's great. And it feels like, okay, yes, there's advances, there's more options, there's different approaches. Um, there's not going to be one approach, one thing that is like, Ooh, this is the, you know, um, what we've all been searching for. Um, this is the Holy grail of, you know, trauma treatment. Um, what we do know is that the research has shown over and over again, that if we, at least if we think about in terms of, um, professional mental health treatment, that's what I'm talking about, um, is that really the most important predictor of whether the therapy is going to be helpful. The relationship with the therapy. the relationship, exactly. So that's what I would really encourage people um, is that if you are looking for a therapist or you're in therapy, but you're not sure how well it's going, um, is, you you know, the, the best thing that you can do is really find a therapist that you feel like you really click with, that you trust, that, you know, you can develop a relationship with that feels um, you know, that feels therapeutic, right? That really feels healing, um, that you feel supported, um, challenged at times, certainly. Um, but but anyway, there's that real strong feeling of connection there, um, of, you know, being, you know, of really being cared for um, in the process. So that's what I would say is the most important thing. Um, aside from that, I mean, I think, you know, people are different, different things, work for different people. People have different preferences in terms of, you know, which modalities just, you know, sort of are, are more interesting or attractive um, to them. I think a lot of times people, um, you know, the, well, it can go either way. There are sometimes there are there are folks who um, have learned about a particular modality. They're like, oh, I, you know, been reading about EMDR. And so I want to seek out somebody who does that particular modality. Um, and that's great. Um, I think there's also a lot of folks who don't know, don't really care. Um, they find a therapist and whatever modalities the therapist use, you know, is like, they're like, okay, whatever. Um, as long as I'm, you know, uh, feel like I'm being helped here, that it doesn't really matter what the approach is. And, and, you know, the truth is also that most therapists are going to use a combination of therapists. There's, there's not that many therapists. I don't think that are just, yeah, that are really strict, you know, where I'm just doing psychoanalysis. I mean, that's one that people will, will sometimes be real, um, um, really specific about, but, but most of us are, are using a combination of things. And that's, and that's part of, um, you know, our, our expertise is trying to understand, you know, you know, which approaches do I use in different situations with different people? Um, so there's, so there's sort of this evolution of it also, this back and forth of, um, you know, trial and error, you know, but, but also coming from a knowledge base, certainly of, of, um, you know, not just like <laughs> pulling things out of the air and being, oh, let's try some CBT today. But, um, you know, but obviously if I use some CBT with, with a client and it's not helpful and they don't, you know, find it to be a tool that they are engaging with, well, I'm not going to keep, you know, shoving that down their throat because that's, that's not going to be helpful. Right. Um, so, you know, I want to have a variety of strategies, um, that I can use, you know, bits of this and bits of that, um, how has the way that you've worked with individuals evolved over the years? Hmm. 
Oh, I don't know. That's a good, that's a good question. Um, Can you think back to any particular clients that really, you know, had a profound impact on you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, and this is, uh, you know, I think one of the things that, um, you know, when you're the client, you're on the other side, you know, you're often curious, you know, how, what does my therapist think about me? How do they feel about me? Um, we care deeply about, I would say most of our clients, you know, some you see for a short period of time and you, you know, they come and they go, but, you know, I think a lot of us have also clients that we see for many years sometimes. Um, and absolutely. I mean, there are, there are clients that I hold very, you know, close to my heart um, that, you know, both, I just have a great deal of admiration and fondness for, but also that I feel like I learned so much from them. Um, I mean, just about different lived experiences that people have, but also about being a therapist and um, how to be supportive. So absolutely. Um, have you ever read Good Morning Monster? No. It's by, what is her name? Catherine Gildner. She's a therapist and it's like about like five of the most impactful Mm. patients that she had. It's fascinating. It's a really good book. Hmm. Okay. I haven't, I haven't heard of it either. It's not ringing a bell. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it is a relationship and I think sometimes people think, well, you know, I'm paying you. So it's not a real relationship. I mean, it's a particular kind of relationship, right? With certain boundaries around it for very good reasons. Um, but the feelings are absolutely real, mm-hmm. right? And I think that, I mean, to me, I think that's really where the healing is. It is in a therapeutic relationship, right? It is in this ability for us to relate to each other in new ways and for you to have a different kind of relationship um, than what you've had you know, with other people in your life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I feel so blessed. I've really lucked out. So with, with some really amazing therapists, um, what was I going to ask you? Oh, so one thing that I see you talk about a lot in your blogs is about when to cut ties (laughs) with family. Yes. It's a very hot topic. I would say. Oh, yes. Okay. Well, I mean, it's, it's virtually impossible, you know, to give somebody Mm -hmm. that I don't know, like specific advice. Mm -hmm. Um, But my, in my opinion, um, is that there, there are times when that is what you need to do. Um, I, I think there are probably people who will disagree with me and say that that's really lousy advice. And that if we're talking about your family, that that's, you know, sacred essentially. And, um, whatever (laughs) the situation is, you just need to keep making it work. Um, or you're obligated or, you know, they're your parents and, you know, you need, you owe them something, you know, of, of that nature. But, um, you know, like, I think like I was talking about earlier, you know, as your kids become adults, you need to recognize that, you know, these are relationships that people, you know, we're choosing to maintain these relationships. Um, I mean, and if they're going to be worth having, they have to be relationships that we invest in and that we can treat the other person, the adult child, as 
their own separate individual worthwhile amazing you know person not just an extension of who i am that i you know i think my child should um you know do the things that i think are important or valuable or successful or whatever right have the same beliefs that i have um or that this is something that i can you know, continue to have this power differential. I really need to understand that, like, this is now we're equals um, in the sense of um, I, I'm not here to boss you around or tell you to do stuff or, you know, make you, you know, be my servant and come over and rake my yard or whatever, right? I mean, you know, this has to be, I mean, you really have to think about your adult child, I think, as a person, just like you would any other person and what kind of expectations you have for that relationship. That you can't just take people for granted and expect that they're going to stick around and, um, you know, want to show up and relate to you in a respectful, you know, loving way. But, you know, obviously... When people get to the point of ending a relationship, you know, cutting ties, being estranged from family members, a lot of shit has happened, right? Like this is not something that people do lightly. It is not something that happens because we had one big argument. It's years and years and years, you know, of, of stuff that has happened that has not been able to be resolved. Um, and so, like I said, I mean, I, I, I strongly believe that you know, we need to look out for our own well-being and our own mental health. And again, this is sort of, you know, that the antithesis of the codependency, right? Instead of just doing what everybody else wants you to do and sort of being the good person and the good daughter, you know, son, um, you know, we need to step out of that and say, like, my needs matter. My mental health matters. I deserve to be treated with respect. Um and if, you know, somebody has shown me over and over again that they are unwilling to do that or unable to do that, um, that's not a relationship that I think is going to be worthwhile um, or it's not going to be in your own best interest um, to continue that. So anyway, I mean, I could probably keep talking about that, but I don't know if you have any other specific questions or thoughts about that. Where, where do you think people are going wrong when trying to set boundaries with family? Well, um, one is the notion that they don't need any boundaries <laughs> with their family because they're family, right? Again, that's where we get into, you know, just this notion of we have a different set of rules for our family. And, you know, either we can disrespect people's boundaries because we have to, we have to maintain the relationship and um, we have to put up with people stepping over our boundaries. Um, I think is one of the big problems. And, you know, if you, if you are the person who is sort of getting mentally healthier and learning how to set boundaries, and then you take that, you know, to your family of origin, yeah, it goes over great. <laughs> where they don't have any boundaries, and they're used to, you know, right, treating you like shit, then you get a lot of resistance, right? A lot. Um, so, I mean, that just makes for, you know, both very frustrating situations. You know, a lot of people feel very guilty, They you know, because they basically, you know, are being told, you know, you're doing something wrong. Yeah, you shouldn't yeah. be doing this. This mm -hmm. is, you know, you're, you're, again, you're the problem here. Um, right. So, you know, uh, this, this, in, in my experience is you know, <laughs> not always, but often, you know, the person who is now being blamed, it, it, 
you know, as the problem is often the person who is actually, is the healthiest person in the family, right? It's just like you no longer fit into the dysfunctional system anymore. Um, you know, and it's so interesting, right? Because I mean, it's like they're, they're being told the complete opposite, right? You're being told you're the problem and there's something wrong with you. Um, when actually it's the opposite is like, it's the super dysfunctional system and you're just saying enough is enough. I'm not going to keep doing this anymore. I'm not going to, you know, continue with these dysfunctional patterns and relationships. Um, and again, I mean, this is, it's, it, it's, it's sad. And I don't mean to make it, you know, seem like this, these are easy decisions. Um, even though I think they are, are often very good and healthy decisions, they're still very heartbreaking. Even if, you know, even if your family is just horrible, horrible to you, it is still very difficult, um, to step away from that, whether that's temporarily or permanently. Um, but to, you know, cause I really, you know, it, you really have to come to accepting, what's really going on in your family, right? I mean, it really involves opening your eyes and getting out of denial about what's been going on. Um, and again, that's, it's hard, you know, when this is your family and, um, you know, these are the people who, you know, for all intents and persons, we've been told, are these are the people who are supposed to love you and care for you and always be there for you. Um, so it, it's tough. It's, it's really tough. Um, but, you know, it, certainly the folks that I have worked with who have gotten to this point and decided to cut ties with their family, I think every single one of them is ultimately happier, not immediately, um, but they get to a point um, where they definitely feel like this was the right decision. Um, and I think the majority of them actually wish they had done it sooner. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a regret that I have done it. It's that I wasted a lot of years trying to make something work when it didn't, it wasn't going to work. Right. But, but again, I mean, uh, that's so true of a lot of things in life is that we just have to go through the process until we get to that place of saying, you know what, it's not going to work. We can't, we can't make ourselves realize that any earlier. Um, Cause then you have a different kind of regret. Yeah. And you, you got to have enough pain, enough pain, baby. Right. Um, right. I think the thing too, is that that acceptance piece of seeing them for who they truly are. I think not only is that relevant in the sense of like cutting ties, but I think too, when we do find that place of acceptance and seeing them for who they truly are, I think that also can allow us to have a relationship that works for them, like to have a new kind of relationship with them. That's been my experience of kind of like letting go of that fantasy of my parents becoming the people that I always wanted them to be. Now there's been times where I have to cut ties with them, but now I'm in a place where like, I'm able to have a relationship with them that works for me. You know, yeah. it was yeah. like through seeing them for who they truly were which allowed me to, to show up differently. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point because exactly that once we can be in, we can be in reality and I can say, this is who they are. And, and I think that's also understanding their limitations, right? Their deficiencies, their trauma, like understanding who they are and in that entirety. Um, because only then, can you change your expectations of the relationship and say, okay, well, you know what, I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, 
be able to talk to them about these particular issues or they can't support me in this particular way um or you know these are the things that aren't going to work in the relationship i think then you sort of can say okay well but we could do this you know we could you know get together and you know talk about sports and you know maybe that's something that we have in common or something but you know other things are not going to be um possible um so i think that's where we're also kind of getting out of this like all or nothing um which can be a can be a helpful place um for some people hard <laughs> it's a you know, it takes time to get there. So when you wrote your book, Better Boundaries, what what's the focus? Um, the focus is on teaching people all the different boundary skills that they're going to need. Um, so it really takes you through a step by step of, you know, starting at the beginning of, you know, what are boundaries and why do we need them? Um, getting through some of those barriers, um, the things that make it difficult for us to set boundaries, and then actually knowing how to do that in a lot of different situations and a lot of different kinds of relationships. Um, so when I wrote the book, you know, what I was really trying to do is provide a resource for people that I didn't see existing and boundaries are such a, um, you know, they're sort of a foundation of every relationship that we have. Mm -hmm. So if you really think about, you know, whatever problem you're having, there's, there's a boundary issue that is a part of it, um, which sometimes people don't realize that because, um, you know, we think about boundaries in, in, in very particular contexts of, you know, I'm going to, you know ask you to not call me that, or I'm going to, you know, tell you I need to um, leave early or, you know, certain kinds of boundaries that we're used to. Um, but really a boundary um, is, is a part of a relationship, but it's also a way of defining yourself. So, you know, like, even if we go back to thinking about codependency, where it involves, you know, yes, yeah, certainly setting boundaries with other people, but there's also boundaries that we need to set you know, with ourselves too. Um, we have to, you know, have limits for ourselves, but those boundaries also help us define who we are so that we don't sort of get lost in these relationships. We don't get enmeshed with other people that we have a clear sense of who we are, you know, what's important to us, what our goals are, what our values are. And, um, and we don't, you know, sort of define ourselves in terms of other people and again like i was saying before like we don't just become this extension of somebody else um because when i know who i am i also then know what i am responsible for and what i'm not responsible for right and i'm not responsible for all of your problems and you know stuff that's going on with you that i can't fix or making you happy those are not my responsibility right this boundary is also helping me understand um who i am and you know that i'm separate from you mm -hmm. so do you want to talk about some examples of like boundaries with self sure sure um well well we can just kind of expand on that i mean the other way that we can think about boundaries are with ourself are, are like self-management kind of boundaries so again i mean you can kind of think about this um in terms of your own experiences and you know how you grew up as well like what were you taught about how to manage your own behavior? Um, so this is, you know, things like, 
um, you know, just basic stuff like, you know, do you, are you, do you do a good job at, you know, getting yourself to bed on time, you know, at night or managing your finances? Like those are examples of things that we need to write manage for ourselves. Those are limits that I need to put on myself, right? I can't just let myself stay up till 1am every night watching TV, even though that might be, you know, feel good at the moment. Um, and I can't just, you know, spend all my money on whatever all the time. I have to, you know, understand, you know, that there are limits, right? Either that I have financial goals that I'm saving for or just like I don't have, um, you know, endless amounts of money. So I have to uh, make choices with that. Those are boundaries that I set for myself that I say, okay, Sharon, you know, like you've got, <laughs> you know, $100 to spend at the grocery store this week. Like you can't just like buy a whole bunch of, you know, filet mignons and, you know, be like, that's delicious, you know, <laughs> right. <It is. laughs> um, right. Exactly. But, but again, I, I have to, you know, but then that creates problems for me, right. If I don't have any boundaries for myself, I don't have any limits on my own behavior. Right. I mean, then I, you know, I'm eating too much. I'm drinking too much. I'm staying up late. I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm causing other problems um, for myself. Um, right. So that's part of us being, you know, mature, healthy adults is that we have to manage ourselves, right? And 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 a lot of us, um, we either grew up with too much management from our parents, right? We were micromanaged, right? With too much being controlled, or you might've grown up in a family where you didn't have enough. Nobody taught you, you know, how to have healthy routines and healthy habits. And so you didn't develop them. Um, you didn't learn how to, you know, go to bed at the same time every night and, you know, nobody encouraged you to brush your teeth every night. And so, you know, basic stuff sometimes is, you know, things that just wasn't put in place um, when you were younger. So that's you know, stuff that we need to learn um, if we're not, if we're not doing a great job at it. Um, but I think it's also really important to remember that well, we want to, you know, we want to do our best, obviously, to have healthy habits. We do not need to be perfectionists about this, right? I mean, this is like that other piece is like, we also need to um, understand that we're human and be kind to ourselves and have a large amount of self-acceptance and be able to recognize, you know, the effort that we're putting in, the progress that we're making, even if we're not hitting the mark every single time that that's perfectly okay right this is not like i have to you know never overspend or never overeat like but i just want you know i want to have awareness of those things and i want to have some skills so that i feel like i'm con in control of my own life um because that ultimately feels better um than feeling like you're totally out of control um and not able to manage um your own behavior mm -hmm. well then there, yeah and then i guess there's the where do you see, you know, unresolved trauma getting in the way of effective boundaries? <laughs> <laughs> oh, all over the place. I mean, like, I mean, I was just saying, I mean, some of that is, is those things with ourselves um, exactly. about how we, what we were taught about how to manage our own behavior. Um, but certainly there's that relational um, component um, that you, I mean, it's pretty easy, you know, for most people to reflect back on, okay, like what did boundaries look like in my childhood um, growing up experiences? Um, you know, did my parents model for me? I mean, good self-management. Did they model, you know, healthy boundaries um, with you? 
Like, did they give you age appropriate, you know, privacy, um, respect, you know, the ability to make choices? Um, those are elements of it. Um, or were they, you know, were they really rigid with rules? Um, that's another, you know, again, thing that people, you know, trauma either, you know, kind of shows up often in the, you know, parents who had very, very strict rules that were unbending and they were, you know, very harsh. Um, or in families where there just there wasn't structure, there weren't rules. Um, you didn't know what you know you were supposed to be doing. Um, parents didn't care what time you came home at night when you were a teenager, right? Or or sometimes people have an experience where it will just go back and forth, right? I mean, depending on what's going on in the family at any particular time, it might sway back and forth, which um, makes it really confusing that you don't know what to expect or how you're supposed to behave because it's it's inconsistent. But, a, you know, a boundary is a very, you know, like I said, very foundational piece of any kind of relationship um, so that we can have respect in this relationship. We need to understand how to treat each other. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, so if, if, you know, um, when you've experienced trauma, again, depending on what, which kind of trauma, you know, and may have been a whole variety of different kinds of trauma, right. I mean, that these boundaries have been violated. I mean, I think that's a, a, a really, you know, basic piece of, of any kind of like relational trauma, right. That we talk about, you know, developmental trauma, you know, different than the kind of trauma you have, you know, if you were in a car accident, that's mm -hmm. traumatic, but that's a different, you know, that's not what we're talking about. We're, you know, talking about here, you know, when you've been abused, you've been mistreated, um, somebody that is a form of a boundary violation, right? Because somebody has mistreated you, you know, there's an expectation that you have, or you should have, um, Right, that people are not going to um, touch you in ways that you don't want to be touched, or they're not going to, you know, say things to you that are hurtful, that you don't, you know, you don't want to be called those words, or you don't want to be spoken to in that tone of voice. Um, right, those are things that, when you're a child, you don't have much power, you don't have much control to be able to assert a boundary that's going to be respected. Um, you know, and so often this is the boundary work that we're now doing in adulthood is both to feel like you deserve to have boundaries like that's an okay thing a really healthy important thing that you need to be able to have to protect yourself um and and to be able to communicate with other people your expectations in the relationship um and like we've said before i mean just the ability to to be assertive and say this is what i need um this is the way i need to be treated in this relationship or it's not going to work for me or this is what's going to happen um, those are some of the, the pieces of boundary work that we need to do. So scary. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it makes sense that it's scary. Um, because I mean, both it's, it, it's usually that, you know, nobody's really taught you about boundaries, but you've also had these experiences where boundaries were not, were not respected. I mean, so then you grow up thinking, well, I shouldn't have boundaries or what's the point of having boundaries? Um, and then when you do try to set them, people react really poorly to them, right? They make you feel guilty about it. They tell you it's wrong. They tell you it's mean. You tell you you're being selfish, right? So these are a lot of the, you know, the things that we need to overcome to be able to feel like, okay, this is an okay thing for me to do. Um, 
you know, and, and so much of it really does come down to a basic ability to protect ourselves physically and emotionally. I mean, beyond that too, but I mean, those are just really basic elements of um, health and well-being. I mean, you really can't, you know, if you don't feel emotionally safe or physically safe, it's really hard to do much of anything else, um, you know, to put your energy um, anywhere else or engage in, in anything else in your life, because that's something that is just the, you know, the basic of what you need um, to survive and then to thrive, right? Um, you have to feel like you're safe. And that's, you know, so much of what's taken away from you when you experience trauma is a sense of safety and a sense of being able to protect yourself. Yeah. And like, I didn't have any clue that I didn't feel safe, you know? Yeah. Cause again, I think that's, it's one of those things that I think we're starting to do a better job of talking about that. Cause usually when we think about safety, we're really thinking about physical safety, but the vast majority of, you know, the, the feelings of being unsafe are really about emotional safety. Um, I mean, that's the, the more common way, you know, that you're going to be hurt as an adult. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, yeah. And like learning how to express that. Um, cause I think for me, you know, for so long it was, and for so many of us, like ex expressing what we, what we need emotionally, we're convinced that that's the, you know, that that's going to cause the other person to abandon us, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. So then you don't, it's easier to just pretend you don't have any needs. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and that's that old codependency sneaking back up on us. Right. Then it's, I'll take care of all of your needs. And, um, you know, and that, that often will give you some sense of, well, it gives you a sense of being needed, um, of being wanted, um, right. Cause you have a purpose, somebody needs you. Um, but it's, it's, it's not fulfilling long-term, right. No, especially yes. if you have the awareness of it, it feels oh, like yeah. shit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's where you, I mean, you're going to just be resentful. Um, or you should be, I mean, um, because that's a normal feeling to have when you're giving and giving and not getting anything in return. Mm -hmm. um, and that and that can be because you're not asking, but it also can be because you have, you're in a relationship with somebody who just, you know, is not that interested. Yeah, they're not interested in your needs. They don't, you know, want to, you know, be able to give, they don't want to give anything back. They just want to take. Um, and unfortunately there are people who are like that. Um, and that was another blog you just recently, <laughs> one-sided relationships. Yes, yes, absolutely. Right. I mean, there are people who, um, are happy to do all the taking. And of course this is, you know, this is what we sort of think is, this is sort of the, the classic, you know, codependent match, right. Is, you know, somebody who's, who's willing to do all the giving and somebody who's willing to do all the taking, um, you know, this is not like stuff that we do on a conscious level, of course, but, um, you know, because this is it when, when we get into recovery and when we ultimately start feeling better about ourselves and understand that we have worth and we have needs and that, you know, we deserve to have those needs met you know, we tend to not want to stick around with the person who's just sucking the life out of us, right? And, you know, wants and wants and wants, but is never willing to reciprocate. Because um, that's both not a healthy relationship, is not a fulfilling relationship. 
I mean, how, how can that be an enjoyable, you know, way to spend your life in a relationship with somebody who basically doesn't give a shit about how you feel or what you need and they're not willing to compromise um, and they just want it their way all the time? Um, or, you know, they have, have a certain number of, you know, problems and struggles that just become, you know, the forefront of everything and everything's about, you know, let's walk around, you know, the problems and, you know, try to avoid something worse happening, I would say. So like in your marriage and what I'm curious, I mean, when you, let's say you have a relationship that really the foundation is truly built on this unhealthy dynamic, like, is it truly possible? Like if there was no healthy dynamic to begin with, is it truly possible to like build that? <laughs> it's it's well it's really hard because you what it requires is both people mm-hmm. to make big changes right and often often the problem is that um only one person is willing to make the changes and get healthy right um and that's not then that's not going to create a healthy relationship well yeah but then then there's the thing like you know, I just think about sometimes with like Alan on and like, can somebody truly get to a point where like, they're just really staying in their lane, but like, I'm, I'm just going to figure out how to live happily with this active alcoholic. <laughs> um, I mean, I would say to a certain extent, um, but I mean, it's to me, I mean, I, like if we're talking about a romantic relationship, like that's not really a relationship anymore. I mean, it might be like we might live in the same house and be like roommates um, and you're over here doing your unhealthy stuff and I'm just going to stay out of it. Um, but it's really hard because, I mean, especially if you're married, um, I mean, because then legally, I mean, stuff is gets muddy. And I mean, the things that the other person does, they do, that does impact you, right? Indirectly. Um, so, um, you do need to be careful, but, um, I mean, I, I guess this is where I think it's like, this is certainly not the ideal situation, (laughs) but I would also say, um, sometimes this is, um, sort of the progression it's, you know, like we're kind of doing our own work. And then if the other person isn't going to do theirs, we realize, well, this relationship isn't sustainable. Like, I don't want to, you know, have to, you know have them doing their, their, you know, stuff over here. And I don't want to deal with the fallout from that anymore. Um, even if I'm not directly involved in it. Um, but, but I think there, there are a certain number of people who, um, you know, they remain in the relationship and for, for a variety of reasons, and I don't want to, you know, judge that as, as necessarily the wrong thing to do, but they do the best that they can of trying to, be a healthier version of themselves. But, but I think what you're getting at is that that entails a certain amount of separation. Like you you can't, you know, you sort of can't get out of the codependency and be this healthier person unless there's a certain amount of separation from the other person. Um, Right. So if you can do that, I mean, it's going to still involve, you know, you sort of going out into the world if, if you will, and, you know, meeting new friends, getting involved in different activities, like, you know, doing stuff that's different. Um, it's not going to happen if you're just like staying in your own lane, but like sitting in your house still while the other person's over here drinking, like that's not really it. Um, 
I think I, I think like what you're, what you're saying is it's like it inevitably involves like we gotta you know put some more distance between ourselves. Yeah, because, right. you'll, get, yeah. you'll get pulled. I feel like the only yeah. way is like you'll get pulled back into it. I feel like you have to leave or, you know, and that's like just what I see with my parents. It's like, yeah, not, you know, they're both not going to change. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and of course it, you know, it is really hard to be the person who's trying to change while you're in this relationship. Cause like you, like you're saying, I mean, there's sort of this, um, Unconscious you know, sort of, to bring the person. Yeah, to it's it. like yeah, it's like again that sort of dysfunctional system that just wants to maintain status that status quo. quo, right? So I mean, exactly. All the momentum is keep doing what you've been doing. Um, so yeah, I mean, the other person might not, you know, be intentionally trying to draw you back in, but there is a there is a certain amount of pull um, to do that. So it takes a lot of work. So where can people find you? What are you working on now? What do you want to push? (laughs) Oh, well, probably the best thing is for people, they can pop over to my website, which is livewellwithsharonmartin.com. And from there, you know, I've got all all the articles um, and people can sign up for my e-newsletter if that's something that they want to do. When they do that, I've got a... um, a resource library um, that's free. Got lots of tools and like worksheets and you know various meditations and stuff like that. That's um, recovery and healing focused stuff. So that's all available if people want to do that. What's the next book going to be? Oh, I can't tell you yet. <laughs> to be to be determined. Well, I actually, I I do have something that I'm very you know early on, but I got to get a little further along and get the contract signed so <laughs> well i love that we'll back yes it was lovely and every time you speak her name does she know i told me old me until you die till you done but you're still alive and i'm here to remind you of the mess you up when you went away it's not Well, that wraps up today's episode. As always, I hope you heard something that could help you on your own journey. As always, I know that you did. And as always, if you did not, especially for this episode, if you did not, seek some help, okay? <laughs> seek some seek some damn help. Go check out the show notes for all of her stuff. I've included links to her books. The Boundaries book is pretty top-notch and um, just very digestible. So highly recommend checking that shit out. Um, I am going to finish recording this. I'm going to head to um, an in-person AA meeting. I actually used to go to this meeting when I was um, when I was 18 and 19. And I haven't been to it in, God, quite a long time. I'm going to have 15 years sober in September. That's like kind of crazy as long as I don't fuck it up. Um, but yeah, I remember going to this meeting and there, I think I've shared about this in my episode, um, when I talked about my addiction, which is the fourth episode, which I can include in the show notes, but there was a period of time where I was going to AA and I was not sober, (laughs) I was pretending to be sober, but it was pretty obvious that, um, that I was not sober and that I was on pills and I was like going to meetings and nodding out. And, uh, I picked up a, a nine month chip. Uh, when I didn't have nine minutes, <laughs> when I didn't have nine minutes 
and I chaired a meeting about how I had just gone on this trip that I drank on uh, and snuck out of the apartment. I, w- I went up there with this guy that I was dating who was also in the program and I waited until he fell asleep and I snuck out of the apartment and I went to um, like a bar. We were in Manhattan and I sat at the bar all night drinking Long Island iced teas, talking to the guy next to me about how I, how I was in AA. Sorry for the that was not the Outlook ding ding. That was the Mighty Networks ding ding. Um, yeah. And so then I chaired this meeting when I got back and I was like, oh, I went on this trip and I really didn't, I really wanted to drink, but I didn't drink. Uh, and I did drink. And I had the opportunity when, um, when I got sober for real to make amends to that meeting for doing that. But here's the deal. Like, that's not, that's not a super unique experience. I'm pretty confident that there's probably at least one person in every meeting that is probably lying about being sober. No shame if you're one of those people. It's better to be fucked up and in a 12-step meeting than fucked up and not in a 12-step meeting, in my opinion. Um, okay, folks. Well, I love you all. I hope you have a, a wonderful holiday weekend. I'm going out of town. I'm going to go up to Atlanta. Uh, and I will see you next week for another fucking amazing episode of it. Old Chad, it's going to be super off. Super fun, Super excited. If you out of here, it's going to be a good day. I promise. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.